How do you feel when someone tells you no? How do you feel when you want something so badly, but someone tells you no? As a child, do you remember the feeling when you wanted more screen time on your device and your parents said no? As a teenager, do you remember the feeling when you wanted to have a later bedtime and your parents said no? As a young adult, do you remember the feeling when the one you like told you no when you asked that person out on a date? As a working professional, do you remember the feeling when you asked your boss for a vacation leave or a salary increase and you were told no? Do you remember the feeling when you were in need and you asked a good friend to borrow money and he or she told you no? As a senior, do you remember the feeling when you tried to make an appointment to see your grandchildren and your children told you no? I'm sure that almost all of us who've been on the receiving end of that dreaded word no have felt hurt, broken, bitter, angry, and disappointed. But what if the one who said no was God? Our requests to the Lord were not selfish requests, but seemed to be reasonable. For example, Lord, I'm asking for another job with better pay in order to care for my family better. But His answer to us was no. Or Lord, I'm asking for an opportunity to work abroad so that I can help support my family and have a better life. But His answer was no. Or Lord, I'm asking You to allow me to get into the school of my dreams so that I can get a better education and help better support my family. But the answer was no. Or Lord, I'm asking for my own biological children so that I can raise them up in a godly way. But His answer was no. Or Lord, I'm asking that You do not take the life of my father from COVID so that he can continue to help support our family since we are still young. But God's answer was no. Oh Lord, I'm asking you to help my mother beat cancer so that she won't suffer anymore. It pains me to see her suffering so much in pain, but the answer was no. Oh Lord, I'm asking you that you cure my child of autism so that my child will be independent when he or she grows up, but his answer is no. Oh Lord, I'm asking that you heal me from this disease so that I can be healthy to serve you in a greater capacity, but His answer is no. And you can put in whatever request you've given to the Lord, but He answered no. Amidst these sincere, heartful prayer requests, and you get that no from God, I'm sure that you have felt hurt, broken, bitter, angry, and even disappointment with God. What in the world are we supposed to do when God says no, when He doesn't seem to answer my prayers in the way that I want, He doesn't heal us, He doesn't heal our loved ones, He told me no. My friends, we know that God can answer with a yes, a wait. But what we don't want to hear is an outright no. In looking at the Scriptures, there are five things we need to remember to encourage us when God seemingly answers no in response to our prayer requests. Let's take a look to see what they are. When it seems that God is answering no to a specific prayer request of ours, then we need to first remember God's sovereignty. Number one, remember God's sovereignty. Remember God's sovereignty. We have to understand that God does not always give us what we want, 
and sometimes puts us in situations or circumstances that we would not wish on ourselves or on others. Now, we may not fully comprehend why it is so, but we need to remember that the Almighty God is in control. Theologically, this is called God's sovereignty. This means that God knows what He's doing and is in full control because He is Almighty God. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere always, and He is under no obligation to explain any of it to us. We are just to remember His sovereignty. In fact, this is one of the major themes of the books of Job and Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 tells us that the just shall live by his faith, faith in God and in His sovereignty. As people who like to be in control, especially of our own lives, which we think is ours to control, God's sovereignty or right to rule or to be in control is often very hard to accept. And so in our prayers, we tell God, this is how we want things to happen. And you, God, need to do it this way. And we expect that you answer yes. We can't accept that He would dare answer no. In our minds, we are in control of our own lives. Just like what the poet William Henley declares at the end of his poem, Invictus. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. The problem with this poem is it doesn't matter how much you declare it to be so or to shout it out, it just isn't true. I don't pretend to fully understand God's sovereignty and its outworkings. For me, many of the times when God answers my prayer request with a no, it makes no sense to me at all, and it seems that God simply doesn't understand. But that is exactly why we are to remember God's sovereignty, to be reminded that He not us, is in control of all things, and He knows what He's doing. The Scripture tells us clearly that God has the power and responsibility to exercise His right over His creation according to His will. Look with me at Psalm chapter 50, verse 1. Psalm chapter 50, verse 1 reads this, The Mighty One, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. The Mighty One, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. That speaks clearly of God's right to rule this entire universe. And then turn with me a few chapters over to Psalm 115, verse 3. Psalm 115, verse 3. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Would you underline that phrase? He does whatever He pleases. That is God's sovereignty declared in Scripture. With God's sovereignty clearly taught in the Bible, I have to remember to trust that the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who knows the future, the God who promised in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that He has our best plan in mind according to His will, in His sovereignty and wisdom, chose to answer my prayers with a no. And He didn't heal me. He didn't take away my problems. He didn't give me a biological child. He didn't extend the life of my loved one. He allowed me to go through this difficult circumstance. Some of you may not know that my left arm is about one inch shorter than my right arm because of a car accident almost 30 years ago. 
Because of the way the humerus bone shattered and fused together, this left arm is shorter than my right arm. As an athletic young teenager who played lots of sports, I prayed and prayed that God would do a miracle and allow my left arm to grow another inch so that it could be the same length as my right arm. I wanted to be normal, but God answered no to my fervent prayer as a young person. Could He do it? Could He grow my arm miraculously to be the same length as my right arm? Sure He could, because I believe our God is a God who does the impossible and does miracles that defy the laws of science. Throughout my life, I would often think about how my left arm is shorter than my right arm, especially when I used to lift free weights. And for example, I would bench press, but the weight bar would often tilt left because my arms were not of the same length. Or, for example, when I would try to find that perfect long sleeve dress shirt, it would be perfect for one arm, but not the other. I often wonder why God did not answer my earnest prayers and fix my problems. Sometimes I think that God did not heal me so that I would remain humble, but I really don't know why. Yes, He let me survive the tragic accident, but why didn't He fix me up back to normal? And yet nowadays, I just remember that God, in His sovereignty, has a heavenly reason which my human mind can't comprehend why I have this deformity, albeit a noticeable one. God very often chooses to veil and not allow us to see how He exercises His sovereignty. And therefore, our most earnest of prayers and requests will not always be in line with God's response. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19 says this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19 gives us a glimpse of how we remember God's sovereignty when God answers no. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. To remember His sovereignty is to accept God's will and leave it in the hands of God, our faithful Creator. That is the only thing we can do. Now you may say, but it's not fair. Why just me? But it is in those moments that we are to hold on and remember God's sovereign will. Donald Campbell reminds us, God does not test all of His children at the same time or in the same manner. We may doubt whether we think God knows what He's doing, but when we doubt, we presume to comprehend and know more than what God does. But in the finality of God's decision to our request, rest assured that His final decision is made by a wise and loving God who knows what He's doing for our good. Now, when it seems God is answering no to a specific prayer request, then we secondly need to remember God's faithfulness. Number two, remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. Often when we go through difficult times and those trials are not taken away, we begin to doubt God. We immediately forget His love and faithfulness as seen through His continual blessings in our lives. We think of our present situation, God's answer of no to our specific prayer request, and then we begin to question His faithfulness. We begin to believe that somehow when God answers no, that we have somehow perhaps failed God, or we have come out from under His hand of blessing, 
or we did something wrong to make God mad or angry at us, or that God has simply failed us and abandoned us. In fact, this is what David cries out in Psalm chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Psalm chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. But is this really true? Has God really abandoned us? If we examine our lives, we have to ask ourselves, does God really make our lives miserable with our present condition or sickness? Perhaps it was the consequences of our unwise life decisions that has brought us to this point in life. But in fact, when we examine our lives and look back, we should be able to clearly see that God has indeed been faithful and loving and caring. That's why in the Bible, God's encouragement is for His people to remember the past in order to find encouragement for the present and for the future. You see, my friends, the past is certain. It's already happened. The present and the future are uncertain. But since God is an unchanging God, when we look to see how God was so faithful in the past, then we can take assurance that He will continue to be faithful in the present and in the future, never leaving us nor forsaking us. He does not abandon us. That's why David in Psalm chapter 22, when he remembers all that God has done, declares in verse 24, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. God is still with all of us, even when he answers no, and we go through times of great distress. This is what is declared in the beloved Psalm of David in the next chapter, Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The truth of God's faithfulness builds up our faith even when God says no or does not heal based on our prayer request. It is in these times that the truest nature of our faith comes out. For Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 tells us that faith is being certain of what we do not see. But it is not a blind faith that God tells us to trust in. It is in the faith of a God of the past who has always been faithful, a God who in the past is so good and loving that we can continue to depend on Him in the present and in the future. When God does not heal, when He answers no, even more we have to remember Him and His faithfulness because that is the only thing we have to cling to. You see, God wants us to trust Him, not in the results. If we trust God only based on the outcome and the results achieved, then we would stop trusting God because when we look around, it just seems so inconclusive how God acts. Some are healed, some don't get healed, some pass the test, others fail the test, some have biological children, others don't, some get a promotion and do well in their business, others can't find a job. If we trusted God based on results, 
then you and I would no longer trust Him because He seems so inconsistent. But you and I have to be reminded that our faith is not a results-based faith. It must be centered in our relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. When we remember God's faithfulness in spite of the fact that He says no, then we are affirming that our relationship isn't transactional. Where I do this for you, God, and you do this for me. So, for example, if the reason you pray before you eat is because you don't want to choke on a fishbone or get an upset stomach from eating the food instead of because you are truly thankful for the food, then that's what we call a transactional faith. Or relationships where you say, God, if you do this for me, I'll go to church, I'll do my devotions, I'll pray regularly. Relationships that are transactional and results-based won't last. If this is the type of relationship you have between spouses or relationships between friends or parents and children, then I can assure you that that relationship won't last, or at the very least, it will be highly dysfunctional. Because there are times your spouse will let you down or not remember perhaps a special occasion. There are times your children will disappoint you through disobedience or through their unappreciativeness. There are times your friends won't agree with you or be there for you. When those things happen, do you sever your relationships because they are transactional? Well, if the relationship is based on transaction and they are results-based, then yes, you should sever those relationships. But because you remember that in the totality of your friendship and in your relationship with your spouse and your children or your good friends, that they have been good to you in the past, that they do love you and care for you, then you do not sever that relationship because you are not in that relationship for what the person can do for you, but because of who they are. They are your friend. They are your parents. They are your sibling. They are your children. So it is with God. Just because He answers no, we should not abandon Him. And certainly He doesn't abandon us because He is our Heavenly Father and we are His children. The totality of His works in our life shows that God is always faithful. And it is in the person of Jesus Christ that your faith is in, not what He can do for you at your every request. But when we trust Him, his person, his character, we can never go wrong. Because even if God answers no to our prayer request, he is still God. He still loves us. He still cares for us. He is still faithful. Thirdly, when it seems God is answering no to a specific prayer request of ours, then we need to remember his grace. Number three, remember God's grace. Remember God's grace. In spite of the result, the circumstances, we need to not only remember, but to embrace and accept the sufficiency of God's grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor, His undeserved blessings in our life. And it is in remembering this truth that will help us cope when it seems that God is answering no to our most desired of requests. You see, the Apostle Paul also went through something that many of us have gone through. He had an illness, a so-called thorn in the flesh, what it was specifically is not fully defined in the Bible. But this thorn of the flesh was so difficult for Paul to endure that he desired in fervent prayer that the Lord would take it away. 
Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Here's what Paul writes. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. The apostle Paul asked God to take this thorn in the flesh away from him three times. Paul loved God with all of his heart. He probably prayed more fervently than most of us would. He was on fire for the Lord. He did great things for the Lord. He went on many missionary journeys. He suffered greatly for the sake of the Lord's work. If God would answer a prayer request, surely He would answer the request of Paul. I mean, if I was the Apostle Paul, I would be bargaining with God. I would tell God, Lord, if you took away this thorn in the flesh from me and healed me, I could do much more for you. Isn't that a good trade-off? Lord, if you remove this from me, I can do more for the kingdom. But you know, God answered no. God answered no to the great Apostle Paul's prayer request. In fact, when answering no, the only encouragement the Lord gave him were the words in the next verse, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. The Lord told Paul, remember my grace It is sufficient for you in what you are going through. It is sufficient for you to accept my no answer. Why? Because the strength of the Lord is made perfect in our human weakness. That is the ultimate comfort to remember when God does not seem to answer our prayers or even to heal us. God's grace is sufficient for us. Now, what does that mean? Let me give you an example. Let's say, for example, a doctor says that from his experience and his expertise, you only have three months to live. But instead of living three months, let's say God gives you three years of life until He calls you home. What is your reaction? Do we say, God, you are so unfair. I could have lived 20 more years if you did not give me that cancer. Or do we say, Lord, thank you, that instead of what should have been three months, I got three years to live. Of course, it should be the second reaction. I deserve to live three months. I receive three years, which is undeserved favor. This is God's grace. And grace isn't only in years lived out, but it comes in many different forms, perhaps in the ability to endure the pain and the procedure of whatever you're going through, or perhaps the grace to have the peace in one's heart that surpasses all understanding, or perhaps the grace that comes from having a supportive and loving family and friends that surround you. This is God's grace, His undeserved blessings. And this is why grace is what we are to cling on to when we struggle and ask God why. Why did you answer no, God? Why? And God says the answer to your why me or why is my grace. I love you. I gave my son Jesus Christ to die in your place. You did not deserve it, but I did it anyway so that you will have eternal life, and that should be sufficient for you. For based on God's grace, the Bible tells us our strength is made perfect in weakness. And at what time are we the most weak in our life? Usually it's when we have a sickness that cannot be cured. 
It is in those times that God's strength, because of His grace, is most evident in our lives. As Mark Yarbrough says, as with the cross, our darkest hour may be God's finest moment. It may be there that He does His greatest work, albeit unseen to us. Therefore, instead of letting life circumstances consume us, especially when we get a no answer from God, we are to be consumed with God to that end. We pray without ceasing. We trust in His sovereignty. We enjoy His grace, and we find comfort in His hope. Or else, my friends, we will become very bitter. If we don't remember God's grace in our life, we will become bitter and angry at why God answered no to my most fervent requests forgetting that we have already been recipients of His amazing, abundant grace. Our focus should be on the one who heals rather than on being healed, remembering God's grace in our lives. Grace changes the paradigm of how we think, and from the attitude of why me to an attitude that declares, even in the midst of difficulties, why has all this good come into my life? My friends, when God answers no, Instead of playing the self-pity game, you and I need to remember and focus on the tens of thousands of other things God has graciously given us, things you and I don't deserve like salvation and eternal life. Can I mention something specific about praying to be healed? When we hear those words, malignant, inoperable, incurable, or the doctor says, enjoy the time that you have with your family. It often comes as a shock to us. The first thought that enters our mind is, why, God, did this occur to me? I've been a good person. I've been faithful to you. Why did this happen to me? Then we think beyond that to those who will be affected, who will take care of my family. How will my children survive? I'm still so young. We will often turn to fervent prayers and get people to pray with us to storm heaven with our request. And sometimes God heals at this stage, but it seems much of the time God doesn't heal. He says no to our many prayer requests. When that happens, the anger and the questioning invariably comes. God, I love you more than other people, and they got healed. Lord, that person doesn't even believe in you and is living a sinful life. Why are they healed, but I'm not healed or my loved one isn't healed? We feel that God has seemingly abandoned us. Although we do not verbally say it or want to admit it, we get angry and disappointed with God for allowing something like this to occur in our lives. If this is what you have gone through or you are currently going through it, may I encourage you to remember two things as you remember God's grace. First, we as believers are instructed to pray fervently and to pray without ceasing. First, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us this. Because in prayer, we admit our inadequacies and express our dependence on the Lord. We pray to God because He is able to heal, not because He most definitely will heal. We are reminded in prayer that He is the God of miracles, the great physician, the one who uniquely created us, breathed life into us, and holds our life in His hands. So continue praying because it reminds us of the God we worship and believe in. The second thing to understand about praying for healing is that sometimes the God who loves us 
and poured out His amazing grace in our lives through His divine and sovereign wisdom, answers no. When He says no, many wrongly assume that we just need to have more faith. You just need to have more faith. You need to pray more. You just need to believe more. You just need to take perhaps the right medication or see the right doctors. But if God always healed when a person of faith was sick and prayed, no one would ever die and everyone would live forever. Let's not expect God to follow a three-step formula when we get sick. Step one, take medicine. Step two, pray a lot and get others to pray with you. Step three, get healed and go on with life. But we need to remember that the gracious Lord can answer with a yes or a no or wait. When you ask someone to do something, they have a right to say no. In fact, you should even expect them to say no. The default shouldn't be yes. That's why you're asking them in the first place. Therefore, remember, it is in the prerogative of a gracious God to answer no. And even if He is gracious, He isn't going to be moved by your spiritual blackmail where you say, Lord, if you don't say yes, I'm going to stop believing in you just as we are not moved when our children throw tantrums just because we say no to them. Don't equate God's grace and mercy with Him always saying yes to everything. In His grace, He oftentimes says no, perhaps so that our suffering on this earth may cease or so that we can enjoy all the blessings of heaven prepared just for us. Saying no to our request for earthly healing is often the gracious response from a loving God. I hope you'll remember that. Fourthly, when it seems God is answering no to a specific prayer request of ours, then we need to remember God's love. Number four, remember God's love. Some may think that if God answers no, He doesn't love us. But just because He answers no doesn't mean God doesn't love us. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39 clearly states that we can never outrun the love of God as we call Him Abba Father, and He calls us His children in the most intimate of terms. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39 reads this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says God's love for us is clearly shown through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died in our place so that we will be with the Lord forever. My friends, if you ever question the love of God, just go back to Calvary. Think about what Christ did for us. Now, we may think that a no comes from an unloving heart, but that is simply not the case. Just think about the relationship between parents and children. Loving parents tell their children no to their request of more candy and ice cream because they love them and want them to get a proper nutrition and have strong teeth. 
Loving parents tell their teenagers no to their request of sleeping at 2 a.m. in the morning as a bedtime because they love their teens and want them to get enough rest as their bodies need it as they hit their growth spurt. Loving parents tell their teens no to going out with friends they don't approve of or don't like because they love their children and see how the bad influence of their so-called friends have negatively changed them. But of course, when we hear no from our parents, we immediately think or even tell our parents, you hate us. You want to make our lives miserable. Listen carefully. It is a loving God and loving parents that will tell their children no. A God or, or a parent who doesn't care enough to tell his children no is one who really isn't loving. God's no is based on His unconditional love for His children, knowing what is best for us. But don't think that He doesn't know that we will be hurt and upset by Him telling us no. Remember what happened in John chapter 11. Jesus' good friend Lazarus was very ill, and his sisters Mary and Martha pleaded that Jesus would come. In verse 3 it says that Jesus should come to heal the one he loved. But Jesus didn't come on time according to Mary and Martha's timing, and so Lazarus died. And when Jesus met Mary and Martha, they got a bit angry with him, and they seemed to imply, if you had come earlier, our brother Lazarus would not have died. But if you read this chapter, you'll notice that Jesus does not rebuke them, and he doesn't say, don't you know who I am? How dare you question my response and timing? The Bible tells us that Jesus understood their heart's feeling and tells us in verse 35 that when He saw them weeping with sadness, Jesus wept. He wept with them. Jesus, God Himself, didn't prevent Lazarus from dying. He answered no. Well, we know that Lazarus died so that God may be glorified. That's what verse 4 tells us. And we know that Lazarus will be resurrected. But Jesus still wept, feeling great compassion and love to those who were feeling the emotion of Lazarus' death. In fact, the people there who saw Jesus weep said in verse 36, see how he, Jesus, loved him, Lazarus. Even though God said no, he still loves us. Our Lord's love and compassion is with us when we are hurting and disappointed with God's answer of no. But know that that no answer comes because of God's eternal love for us. Finally, when it seems God is answering no to a specific prayer request of ours, then fifthly, we need to remember God's promises. Number five, remember God's promises. Remember God's promises. We are to remember promises such as He will never leave us nor forsake us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. And we are to remind ourselves of this every day. Everett Storms, a Canadian schoolteacher, kept a record of all the promises of the Bible during his 27th reading of the Bible, according to the book, All the Promises in the Bible by Herbert Lockyard. It took a year and a half for Storms to complete his list but he was able to note that there were 7,487 promises of God to mankind. 
Imagine that. There are 20 years worth of daily promises. So does God ever break His promises? No. Revelations chapter 4, verse 3, in a picture of heaven, describes a rainbow that is surrounding the throne of God, and it is a reminder for all eternity that God always keeps His word. I love the second verse of that great hymn, Standing on the Promises. Russell Carter writes, Standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. My friends, even in the hardest of situations, when we do not think that God keeps His promises because He says no to our request, He does, and we know so because of His promises. So claim the promises of God every day. But to claim them, you have to know them, which means you have to read God's Word. You see, peace is not the absence of storms, but the calm in the midst of the storms. So it doesn't matter if God says no, and the storms of life still rage in our life. We can find peace because of God's promises. Remember the story of Daniel's three friends in Daniel chapter 3, who refused to bow down to the golden idol image of King Nebuchadnezzar. And they were threatened with being thrown into the fiery furnace. It's a wonderful story. And the great truth in that story is that sometimes God does not save us from the fire. More often than not, God saves us in the fire. Oh, the boldness of these three friends of Daniel who declared to the king in Daniel chapter 3, verse 18, that even if God does not save them from the fire, they would still not bow down. Loosely translated, even if God says no, we will still cling to His promises and we see that God was still with them in the fire. So even if He says no to our pleas for healing from a terminal sickness or to anything else our heart so desires, but it doesn't happen, God's promise is that when this life ends, immediately we are in His presence. We will see our Lord and our Savior. We will be reunited with loved ones who have placed their trust in Jesus as we have. That is why Christians with a heavenly and eternal mindset don't get too upset when God says no because of all of His promises, especially the promises for the life after this. When we have our eternal destiny settled and secured, then we don't mind when God says no to our requests. So my friends, when we remember God's promises, it should draw us closer to Him as we put our faith in Him, not on results. When we cannot cling to anything else, we cling to the rock, Jesus Christ, that does not move. As we close, we need to know that the God during the good times of our life is the very same God who is in control during the difficult times. We may not always know why or understand why God answers no to our most fervent prayer requests, but in those times of disappointment, we can remember God's sovereignty, God's faithfulness, God's grace, God's love, and God's promises. Sovereignty tells us that God is in control and knows what He is doing. Faithfulness tells us that God will continue to have the best in store for us, even though we perhaps may not obviously see it 
In other words, it will be okay. Grace tells us that God will be our sufficient strength because the weaker we are, the stronger Christ's strength is seen in us. That, my friends, is the truest hope there is. The weaker we are, the stronger Christ's power is. Our focus is then on the Lord. Love tells us it is not because God doesn't love us that He has allowed these things to happen where He answers no, because Calvary points us to His unconditional love. His promises remind us that God keeps His word until the very end, promises to never leave us nor forsake us, so that when we leave this earth, we will never be left alone. He is with us when people threaten us. He is with us when people make fun of us. He is with us in all of the doctor's visits and in all the procedures we go through for the moment we go to sleep under general anesthetic to the time we wake up, whether on this earth or in glory. He watches us, and His promise is tied to His character, one who never changes. So, my friends, when God answers no, it is a loving no. So I hope when we hear from the Lord no, instead of getting upset, we accept the no with graciousness and gladness, remembering His sovereignty, His faithfulness, His grace, His love, and His promises. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. I have to admit that when You answered no to many of my requests, I was angry and bitter. I was disappointed with You. I expected You to say yes. But Lord, as I have matured in my walk, I've seen that when You answer no, it is foundation upon Your sovereignty, faithfulness, grace, love, and promises. Help all of us who are struggling with Your answer of no to remember what we are called to remember in the Scriptures. Help our relationship with You to be based not on results and through a transactional model, but our relationship with You is because of the person of who You are. Deepen our spiritual walk to help us understand and accept when You answer no. And even if we do not understand, help us to live with joy, knowing that the sovereign God is in control, and He knows what's best for us, and it comes from a loving heart that says no. Encourage and bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.